Jewish women are the strongest force on earth. We take care of our families, our communities, and carry the sacred responsibility of ensuring that our traditions are carried on to the next generation. This is A Deeper Conversation, a podcast for Jewish women. We explore ways to strengthen ourselves and our connection with God and the Torah. My name is Yocheved Davidowitz. I am a wife, a mother, a teacher, a writer, a therapist, and most importantly, a Jewish woman. Welcome. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. I am recording this on Rosh Chodesh El. And what is on my mind for this month is something that I've heard so much from so many people this year, which is, I feel like Hashem is out to get me. El is all about developing and deepening our relationship with Hashem. Now, if somebody has a parent, and we all instinctively love our parents, that's the way Hashem created us, and we want our parents' approval. But if the relationship with a parent is difficult, or the parent is abusive, then as much as the child would wish that he had a good relationship with that parent, being near that parent creates stress and anxiety and negative emotions. And it might be that a person with a you know, very dysfunctional relationship with that parent needs to separate for their own peace of mind and their own health from that parent. Now, if we take that analogy and we flip it around, we talk about Hashem, we talk about God, and somebody has a dysfunctional relationship with God, then it makes sense that when El comes around, which is the season where we're meant to be strengthening and developing our relationship with Hashem, that a person feels, rather than opportunity, feels anxiety, stress, negative emotions, because that relationship is based on this premise that Hashem is out to hurt me. And so many people feel this. So I really wanted to address where this comes from, why we have this, and then, of course, what to do about it so that Elul, instead of being a time of stress um, and anxiety, could be a time really of joy and of opportunity. Now, before I get into that, um, if you want to uh, reach out to me, I love hearing feedback from everybody. I love hearing um, you know, your comments and questions and certainly suggestions for future episodes. Email me at a deeper conversation 120 at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at a deeper conversation and get notified when a new podcast is coming out. I am terrible at Instagram and I, I don't post personal pictures or anything like that. I do post when there's a new episode out. So basically I'm saying I'm a terrible Instagrammer, but follow me on Instagram anyways. Um, but Email is the best way to reach me, and I'll see an email faster than I'll see a DM on Instagram, most likely. Um, also consider sponsoring the podcast. You can reach out to me at that email address, at deeperconversation120 at gmail.com for sponsorship opportunities, or you could go to maverickpodcasting.com and click on the link to my page if you want to become a monthly um, donator, which really helps to keep the podcast going as it does cost um, money and time to get the episodes out. And without further ado, let's get into this burning question that I have heard from so many people and how we can move past it. So the first thing I want to look at is the why. Maybe how is a better word. How did we get this way? Where did this come from that we feel like Hashem is out to get us? Because if we could understand where it comes from, then we can figure out how to move past it. And I say we because I'm including myself in this. I also have had this feeling as something that I work on a lot and struggle with. And I've isolated basically two main places where I think that this feeling of Hashem being out to get us really originates from. And the first thing is educational trauma. Educational trauma doesn't mean just from schools, although of course it means that, but it also means from parents and, you know, when we're in camp and older people around us who send us the message that if we do something wrong, then Hashem is going to strike us down. So I had a client tell me once that she remembers when she was a little kid, she was rude to her mother And then she caught her finger in the door. 
And the mother said, you see, you're rude to your mother, that's what Hashem does. Now, the mother probably didn't mean to do anything traumatic. She was probably just in the moment trying to gain compliance and send a message to her child. Nevertheless, in a, if that continues, and that's an extreme kind of behavior, it can be a, a quite abusive, actually. But it sends the message to the child that is very hard to release in adulthood, that if I do something wrong, Hashem is going to hit me. And so we all have had, or at least maybe I'm just speaking for myself, I don't know, but we've had that messaging when we were a kid. And even in benign ways, like I said, educational trauma, think of the school year. If you live above the equator, you go to school in the fall. So it's Rosh Hashanah, and depending on the year, your teacher has more or less time to prepare you. But the very first thing that happens in Yeshiva Day School, when you go into the beginning of the year, is the teacher puts that scale up on the board, and then there's the mitzvot on one side and the averos on the other side, and this happens every single year. And the teacher maybe draws steps on the board and goes through the steps of tshuva. First, you have to regret your sin or you recognize your sin. You have to regret it. You have to confess it. And then you have to resolve never to do it again. Or maybe go ask mechila, go ask forgiveness for the person that you, you did wrong. And this is the beginning of every single school year for all the years of education. And it has a way of framing the year and setting the tone for everything that's going to come after. I always think like it would be so amazing if we could start school in Nissan. Right, Nissan is also the first month of the year. So you start school in Nissan. So what is the first thing that happens when you go into the year? It's Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Hashem took us out of Egypt. Hashem saved us. And Hashem then gave us the Torah. And then by the time we would get to El, by the time we would get to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we already have a, a relationship and we have a context and a framework for that type of dynamic, which is very important. There is such a thing as reward and punishment, and it isn't something that we should be turning our back on or disregarding because maybe we think about it a little bit too much or it has an outsized importance in our mind. That's equally as unhealthy, and I'll get to that in a little bit. But I think recognizing whatever educational trauma, whether it was malicious or benign, probably most of the time it wasn't deliberately malicious, is something that we really need to tune into what we're carrying on that we need to let go of. And I'll get into in a little bit the steps of how we move past that soon. But I want to talk about the second thing, which is even harder and, and much, much harder to get past. But I think it's really important to talk about. And this is that for people who feel strongly that they recognize um, they recognize Hashem in the world and they have strong bitachon and emunah. And I have to tell you, I hear about this. I hear this all the time. This is what people will say to me. I've heard clients tell this to me, friends, um, relatives, whoever. I really believe in Hashem. I just don't think Hashem is nice. And then when I challenge that, they'll tell me something tragic that happens. Because the thing is, is that if you have bitachon and you believe in Hashem, what we're taught is, hashkafically, that Hashem is in charge of the world and runs every single little thing. Hashkacha pratis. Everything is from Hashem. So you look around and you see all these terrible things that happen and all these tragedies that occur. Obviously, those are from Hashem also. So it makes sense when you look around and you see all the terrible things that are happening for a person to have that feeling of, well, Hashem makes bad things happen. So... That's obviously a little bit harder because the question of tzaddik Varalo, the great people and terrible things happen to that person, um, you know, is, is a subject for philosophers and well beyond the scope of my own intelligence, I have to say. But nevertheless, it is something that we need to talk about and figure out how to deal with that if we're going to get past the fact that bad things happen and Hashem is, you know, running the world and every little tiny thing that happens comes from Hashem um, and 
yet Hashem loves us and Hashem is not out to get us. And we want to develop a close and warm relationship to Hashem. So I think that those are probably the two main reasons why people have this feeling in the first place. And now that we figured that out, and if you have another reason or you think it comes from someplace else, please be in touch with me and let me know. Um, and let's get to how do we get past it and what do we do about it? So let's deal with the first issue of educational trauma first, because that is a little bit easier to deal with. And the first and most important thing that we need to do is just simply awareness. I often will tell clients in session that awareness is the main thing that they need to move forward in whatever it is that they're struggling with. And it always sounds so anticlimactic when I say that. And people are looking for magic pills and they're looking for great insight and solution. But really the thing is to be aware of the issue itself and really understanding what's going on is a lot harder than it sounds. And it takes a certain amount of honesty and self-reflection. I mean, think about it. If you go to the doctor with a stomach ache, the doctor can give you medication all day long, but if he doesn't actually know what's going on, chances are it's not going to help. So you want always a good diagnostician if you're going to the doctor with something that's, you know, I don't know. I don't know why I'm having this pain. What's going on? And we have to be diagnosticians with ourselves. Like, where is this coming from? And when we have that awareness, hey, you know what? I remember my teacher said this to me. I had a client once who told me, it was actually before Rosh Hashanah Kippur time, we were talking about davening, and she was telling me how she hates going to Shalom Rosh Hashanah Kippur, and it's so stressful for her, and she was telling me about this teacher who said this, and that teacher who said that, and such a negative uh, feeling uh, that she had with davening that came from the school system, and of course not everybody has this, and some people really had wonderful experiences, and it's certainly, you know, you'll have 95 great experiences, and that one teacher who said something negative, that's what sticks in our mind, but this client happens to be, she really had a negative association with tefillah, um, which she said was based on messaging she got as a kid. Um, and, you know, putting our finger on that, recognizing it was the first step. But then the second step, of course, is saying, okay, now that you know why you got this from, what do you want as an adult? Like, how do you want to move forward? And we really got to the point where she told me after Yantif, she said, like, I went and I had a really good experience because I said, you know what? Now, why don't you have a relationship with Hashem on your own terms? You can't allow yourself to be held hostage by somebody else's bad behavior that happened when you were in fourth grade. By somebody else, the teacher, no doubt themselves, had some sort of a difficulty understanding and, and conceptualizing what a healthy relationship with Hashem was. And unfortunately, sometimes passes that on to the student. Or maybe it was a comment that a parent made to a kid or many comments that parents made to kids or something that somebody heard their rub say. Whatever it is, what kind of messaging did you hear? What are some of your cognitive errors that you're making? What are the impressions that you are, grew up with that you say, you know what, like I can have a relationship as an adult with Hashem and I want to let go of some of that negativity and make a choice to have a relationship with Hashem that's functional and healthy. And we do that in a lot of areas. Obviously, I'm talking in this case about Elul and about deepening our relationship with Hashem. But, you know, when it comes to parenting, I always say there's no such thing as a perfect parent because there's no such thing as a perfect person. Not only that, but the way that Hashem created the world is that we have our children when we're quite young. So, you know, 20s, early 20s is peak fertility when we're meant to be having our children. I mean, if I think about how smart I was when I was in my 20s, like I'm much smarter right now. I know a lot more about chinuch, about education, about all sorts of things. Not that I'm so smart now, but I'm certainly smarter now at 48 than I was when I was 20 when I had my oldest daughter. And yet Hashem arranged for us to be having our children when we're young. And so every single person on earth, no matter how wonderful your parents are, 
we all have something that we need to overcome. And part of our job as adults is to grow up and to become our own people and say, you know, this I'm holding on to, but this maybe I'm doing differently. And, you know, you know, we actualize into our own unique person and try to grow as much as we can. We all have certain baggage and we all have you know, certain things that we got from our parents. And again, there's a spectrum here. So some people maybe have a lot of negative and some people just have one or two things. Whatever it is, Hashem gave you your package for a reason and put you in the situation you were there for a reason, but it was not perfect. And there's something that you have to overcome from your childhood. And with regards to this kind of thing, also when we grow up, so you, you know, you leave school and you become an adult and you say, you know what, I need to have a relationship with Hashem on my own terms and decide what it wants, what it what I want it to be like. And then the main thing is, is that what what's required of us here is a choice. We have to choose to want to have a good relationship with Hashem. It's certainly not going to happen if we're waiting for a sign, if we're waiting for the circumstances, the external environment to be perfect, if we're waiting for something to happen. All those, it, those things might happen, but it'll start first with a conscious choice that a person makes to want to be closer to Hashem and to live a life of emuna and bitachon. And then they're living that their life based on that operating system, which is much better than any other operating system, let me tell you. And this brings us back now to the second thing, which is much, much harder to deal with, which is that, of course, if we believe that everything comes from Hashem and we see that tragedies happen and terrible things, at least that we perceive in the world to happen, then how do we have a loving and wonderful relationship with Hashem? And some people are very sensitive to this, much more so, and other people not. But like I said, this one is a little bit beyond the scope of this podcast. I certainly can't answer the question of why bad things happen to good people, why good things happen to bad people. But maybe we can figure out a way to deal with this question so that it doesn't impede our relationship with Hashem and that we can figure out how to sort of live with the question, which I think is sort of what we need to do rather than answer it. We need to figure out a way to be um, at peace with this question. And I remember years ago, I was giving, I was asked to give a speech about Emunamitachon, about faith, to a group of non-religious uh, women. I prepared my speech and um, I knew that this question was going to come up. Why the Holocaust? Why do children get sick? And, you know, like, what are you supposed to say about that? How do you answer that question? So I figured, you know, I'll ask an expert. And I called my husband's grandmother, Ella Shalom, um, Mrs. Rifka Schlesinger, who I always tell, I told my husband after I met his grandparents, I always would joke that I married him for his grandparents. His grandparents were um, Holocaust survivors. Um, they were both in Auschwitz and just unbelievable um, examples of pure emuna and bitachon. Immediately after the war also, I mean, just, you know, we don't need to get into the family stories now, but the choices that they made right after the war and certainly what I saw in the, you know, 20, 25 years that I was Zoha to know them. But I called up Bubby because, you know, obviously she had been through something very terrible. And I asked her, I said, how do you go through this and have a munabitachon? How do you have faith? And I have to say, her, re- at her answer was extremely unsatisfying. Um, I was looking for the magic bullet. I was looking for the answer that I can go and give the speech to all these ladies and say, I spoke to my grandmother, well, grandmother, grandmother-in-law, but, you know, we'll call her Bubby. I spoke to Bubby. She was in Auschwitz, and she lost her entire family, and all these things happened, and this is what the answer she gave me. And her answer was, I said, how do you have faith in the face of all these terrible things that happened to you? And she said, because we do. 
And I was just, okay, so now how do I, how do I translate? What do I say? What do I do with that? What do I do with that information? But I think, you know, in the years since she told me that, and I've thought about this so many times since, that what she's saying is that emuna bitachon is a choice. And the truth is, is that if you live your life with emuna bitachon, the tragic and the difficult things that happen, happen within a framework and a context in which ultimately everything makes sense, even though we can't see it right now. And so a person can go through life and have tragic things happen to them or things that they see or that, you know, that feel tragic. And really, you know, there, there's certain things that just are tragic and they don't have faith. And a, another person who goes through that same exact experience, but does have faith. So who do you think is going to make it through that situation better? Who's going to go through that situation in a way that's going to be more emotionally and psychologically healthy? Who's going to recover faster? Who's going to be able to have good times and laugh at some point? The person who has faith or the person who doesn't? I remember I told the story. Every time I tell the story, I get such a great reaction. If, I don't know if I've told it on this podcast before, but I have to tell it now because it's, so, it's such a great um, analogy for um, the sh- you know, having faith and building up a, a relationship, a positive relationship with Hashem. But um, years ago, I was uh, used to go to this yoga studio. I lived on the West Coast for many years, and this was a yoga studio that was very serious about the yoga. Like the people there, the the, the instructors were they were like serious yoga masters. They were like going to India on these two week retreats, and they were able to like hold themselves off the floor on their pinky and balance their entire body weight and twist it into a pretzel at the same time. And there was this one instructor there, Brianna, she was so strong and she would do these like crazy, like, you know, the core strength and the the body strength that she would use to hold these poses all with like a smile on her face, like no big deal. Right. It was just incredible. And, um, I went into the studio once for class and she wasn't there. And somebody who was there, another student, told me that she had slipped and fell. She slipped on a patch of ice and she injured her knee and she was going to be out for a few weeks. And, you know, she needed to do like six weeks of rehab or whatever it was. And then this person went on to tell me, she said, you know, apparently the doctor told her that had anybody else had the same injury, she would have shattered her knee. But because of all the years of yoga... Her, the muscles surrounding her knee were so strong and it protected her when she fell. She had also this like, incredible balance and core strength and everything, all the training kind of kicked in and she fell in such a way so that she was certainly injured and out for a few weeks, but it wasn't a, a life-altering injury. Her knee wasn't shattered because of that. And when you develop your emunah bitachon, you develop your relationship with Hashem, so the things that happen... You know, isn't it that it isn't that they're not hard and that they're not difficult, but we're not necessarily shattered by them the way somebody who doesn't have that emunah bitachon has. And we just read, okay, so I said it's Rosh Chodesh El today. In yesterday's Parsha, we read um, Parsha Re that um, you're not allowed to cut yourself in mourning. The Pasuk says that you're not supposed to cut yourself or make a bald spot. And the Ramban says that um, what people do is they, when they have, when they lose a loved one, they, there was, I guess, a custom that people inflict pain upon themselves. They cut themselves and they beat themselves. Um, and Jews are not allowed to do that. When they feel pain, they're not allowed to hurt themselves physically in response to uh, a loss. 
and I was thinking like, why, what, what is the reaction? Like, why would somebody do that? Why would that be a go-to that somebody would feel like if they, let's say, lost a parent, that they would cut themselves or they would inflict pain on themselves? And it could be because they feel so much emotional pain that they need to give it a physical expression, or it could be that the physical pain is somehow more bearable than the emotional pain. And it's a distraction. Very sometimes we have physical symptoms um, to distract us from our emotional pain. For whatever reason, Jews are not allowed to do that. And the Ramban says the reason why is because although, of course, one is allowed to feel pain and one is it's appropriate to cry and to mourn and to feel loss when we lose somebody, we also need to put it into the context that everything that Hashem does is for the best, even though we can't see it at the time. And we know that Hashem loves us and ultimately whatever's going on is part of a bigger plan. I'm paraphrasing the Ramban here a little bit. So having, you know, having that sort of elevated sense during a time of, of tragedy, we don't really know what's going on, but learning to sort of be okay with that doubt can put a person in a place where they'll say, you know what, I'm never going to get the answer to this question, but I know that I'm never going to get the answer to this question. And that's okay. Because you know that living a life of Emunah and Bitochon is better than the alternative. It's a better life because the alternative is just bad things happen and there's no rhyme or reason. And any time I'm walking down the street, something could fall over, fall on my head and crush me. So while of course, like I said, I, I can't possibly explain why bad thing X happened to person Y, we could say that, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily, I shouldn't say that it doesn't matter, but we can live with the doubt and move along irregardless to having a relationship with Hashem. So the most important takeaway here from this podcast is to be aware of the power of our own choices. A, a relationship with Hashem isn't something that's just going to happen. And certainly a good relationship isn't something that's going to happen. Good relationships take a, a certain amount of effort and work and attention and care. And our relationship with Hashem is no different. So you make a choice that you want to have a relationship with Hashem. You make a choice that you want that relationship to be positive. And now there's certain practical suggestions that I will give you to continue to move that relationship forward. So the first and most important thing, of course, and what this whole podcast is based on is tefillah, is prayer, formal and informal. In order to have a good relationship with somebody, you need to communicate with that person. We're talking about people. I'll often do this in a speech or, you know, even talking to somebody about tefillah. I'll say, do you have a good friend from camp that you were really, really close to one summer? And they'll say, yeah, you know, usually somebody could think of somebody from their childhood that they had a, you know, like a great summer with. And I'll say, are you guys still good friends? And 100 times out of 100, the response will be something like this. Um, no, we don't really speak anymore. Or, you know, we touch base once a year. We're not really in communication. People will define their relationships with other people based on how many times they speak to that person and how much they communicate with that person. So if you want to have a relationship with Hashem, you need to be speaking to Hashem with tefillah, with prayer, again, formally and informally. And, you know, it's a whole topic this whole podcast really started off with tefillah, developing an ability to pray and having the time and creating the consistent habit and then having it be meaningful. Again, no easy task, but it's something to work on, especially if you want to have a relationship with Hashem and to take it in very, very small bites and in very, very small manageable steps would be what I would recommend. Something that you definitely can do, something that you can add a little bit to your you know, daily routine so that you're communicating with Hashem in a meaningful way. The second thing is to think about who 
you surround yourself with. We need to really be mindful of our influences that are around us. And we have a lot more control of those than we think we do. Like sometimes we think, you know, we're helpless. We're helpless because of my neighbors, because of the, the my job, because of the people that I'm surrounded with. Somebody um, emailed me a while, while back saying that she just moved to a new community. And it's really hard because the people there are really not... Um, careful about Lashon Hara, and she's really had tried to start working on not speaking Lashon Hara, and now she finds herself in this new community where everybody's speaking all this Lashon Hara. And I wrote back and challenged her, and I'm like, everybody or just the people that you want to hang out with are speaking Lashon Hara? It's hard to imagine that you'd go to a community where everybody's speaking Lashon Hara. I'm sure there's people that aren't. But, you know, we sometimes think that we're stuck in a situation when really it's not the case. And there's been many, many studies to show that social contagion is a real thing. We pick up the behaviors of the people around us, and we really don't need the psychological studies to tell us this, because Pirkei Avos tells us, Ayla Russia, Ayla Shekhenov, woe to the Russia, to the wicked person, woe to his friend. But to whatever extent, we have the power over our environment. And again, I would always challenge somebody to think, tell them they have much more control of their environment than they think they do, or than they would maybe want to exercise. Um, we need to be able to be mindful of what our influences coming in are and surrounding ourselves with the kind of influences that bring us up rather than pull us down. The other thing also is, and this is where maybe I'll go back to where I started off with, this idea of reward and punishment is actually a real thing. And we have a tendency to behave like in a pendulum, in a pendulum like way in society where we go to one extreme that's maybe unhealthy and to compensate, we go too far into the other extreme and which is equally unhealthy. And it could be that for a while, maybe our system of schooling was too punitive and too focused on behavior and compliance and reward and punishment. And maybe there was sort of a parenting energy. But now what you see is that this sort of pendulum is swinging in the opposite direction where all this messaging of just, you know, love and, you know, everything is just, you know, relationship and disregarding reward and punishment, that is equally as um, incorrect as the other extreme. There is such a thing as reward and punishment. And that is so important because we need to feel like there's a system of justice in this world where when people do bad things, they're punished. And when people do good things, they're rewarded. Now, the trick here is that we don't always see it in this world. And actually, the Orcha Sadiqam says, and maybe this will help also just with that sort of nakuda of like, I, I feel like if Hashem does, if I do something good, Hashem is going to give me a prize. And if I do something bad, then Hashem is going to hit me. The Orcha Sadiqam says that when Hashem gives us so much good, there's no possible way that you could repay that with good deeds. That's not why Hashem, give, Hashem gives us good. Hashem gives us good because he loves us. Now, that being said, we need to recognize the fact that there's an ultimate system of justice in the world. And this should make us joyful. This should make us happy. Because you cannot live in a world where there's, and unfortunately, sadly, we're seeing this like in real time, if you're American, where there's just lawlessness and people are going unpunished, um, People are, are committing crimes and they're getting let out of jail. And what happens is that people start living in fear. They're, you can't rely on anything. You can't hold on to anything. A, a system of justice is necessary for the healthy and normal functioning of society. And again, Hashem's justice is ultimate justice. That means that really the people get paid back what they deserve and what they're entitled to. And that is such an important and healthy thing 
but again, to put it into the context of a normal relationship with Hashem, not to give it outsized importance, but not to disregard it either. So there is, an, there is a concept of reward and punishment, and we need to recognize that. And there's a time in the year where it's appropriate to feel a certain amount of trepidation and fear about that system, but it should be within the context of when it's appropriate to feel that. So maybe starting with L, we start to do some self-examination, and it starts off though, in a positive way with that relationship with Hashem. And then you build, I mean, L stands for Anila Dodiva Dodili. I am for my beloved and my beloved is for me. What a beautiful expression of love. It's such a, it's such an evocative image. And you think about developing that positive relationship with Hashem, and then you could get into this, you know, reward and punishment, self-examination. Um, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? What do I need to correct? What do I need to work on? Um, you know, really taking that accounting, but it maybe isn't so healthy to be constantly feeling that pressure during the year all the time. Like I said, there are times during the year, maybe Erev Rosh Chodesh to engage in reflection um, and to make sure that it's done in a healthy way, but to disregard the fact that um, that there is such a thing as reward and punishment, to me, that just creates a sense of anxiety because that's equally as incorrect. And when we don't pay attention to something that is there, it's under the surface we know it's there, we're not paying attention to it, and it just creates even more anxiety. It's like somebody who's, you know, doesn't look at their bills. The bills are coming and they can't deal with the numbers, so they just like, you know, shove them under, you put them in a desk drawer and don't look at them. That doesn't mean that the bill is going to go away. It's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger in their mind and create more and more anxiety because they can't actually look at it. So if you could look at the fact that there's such a thing as reward and punishment and there's ultimately some kind of an accounting that we have control over because we have the ability to you know, do better and to do differently and to try harder. And we know also that Hashem wants that for us. Hashem wants us to do better. Hashem wants us to have that accounting and Hashem will help us along in that direction. That makes that whole experience, the whole understanding of reward and punishment and puts it in a very healthy and positive, um, in a positive framework. So Anyways, that's this is my Ella podcast. I hope that it was helpful. I would love to hear from you. I would also, if anybody has any other questions, even just random, not to do with Ella, to do with anything that I've spoken about in the past or anything that's on your mind, I was thinking about doing maybe a Q&A section at the end of each podcast. Um, certainly the ones, not maybe not the interview ones, but the ones where I'm talking and just answering some questions. If you would want to send those to me at a deeper conversation, 120 at gmail.com. Whenever I give a speech, my favorite part is always the Q&A because I could give a speech and prepare my thoughts. But then when I get to answer questions, it's like, no, this is what you're thinking about. And this is what's on your mind. So be in touch with me, email me, follow me on Instagram at a deeper conversation, consider sponsoring a podcast. And I look forward to meeting you all in the next episode.